last week we had a good discussion about working with thinking, and uh, I said that we would kind of continue that discussion this week, talking about some other ways of practicing with thinking, which is of course such an important part of our practice of mindfulness. practice of mindfulness is a practice of being mindful of our human experience and our relationship to it. And thinking makes up a big part of our human experience. So it's really important to be mindful of our thinking. When the Buddha surveyed the world, looked out at the world, when he considered uh, the general state of things in his time, he looked at the world and what he saw uh, we're beings lost in thought, lost in thought, uh, living in thought worlds, living in thought worlds. What he recognized, of course, was that we just don't have a thought and another thought and this thought and that thought, but we actually construct these thought worlds and we live within them. And we're doing this on an ongoing basis throughout the course of our day, of course. So the Buddha saw beings lost in thought, living in thought worlds. And he said that the path was about coming out of thought worlds, that we, that we follow the path so that we can come out of these thought worlds. Our task is to abandon these thought worlds. So the primary tool that we engage in, that we use in the effort to uh, abandon thought worlds is the primary tool that we always use on this path, which is mindfulness. So the practice of abandoning thought worlds uh, begins with seeing when we're in thought worlds. Seeing that we're lost in a thought world, that we're in a thought world, seeing when we're lost in thought. Now, of course, it's, it's difficult, right? It's difficult because when we're lost, it's hard to see that we're lost. It's kind of the definition of a thought world is that we're lost. So it's very hard to see that we're lost in thought worlds. Uh, when we're in a thought world, we don't see clearly. Uh, when we're in a thought world, I mean, one of the ways that thought worlds are characterized is that we're asleep. The Tibetans say we're in a dream state, uh, so we're not awake, and it's hard to see that we're not awake when we're not awake. So it really requires, I mean, all of the skills that we're developing in meditation support us in being able to be uh, mindful of thought worlds. Uh, but it always begins with, uh, with our resolve, right? You know, I mean, really, it begins with right understanding, right view, that, uh, that we uh, need to abandon thought worlds, that when we're in thought worlds, uh, we're in a state that's not conducive to uh, what's in our best interests. Uh, having that understanding, beginning with that understanding, really, of course, that understanding will deepen in time, and so will our resolve. So from that place of understanding, uh, we have a resolve, right? And hopefully on the path, our resolve deepens over time. I mean, to me, that's a real mark of 
being on the path and making progress on the path is that our resolve is deepening. So an important part of our resolve, a key element of our resolve, uh, when we get down to the specifics of our mindfulness, is we're, we're resolved. It's not so much that we're resolved to abandon thought worlds, our resolve is to see when we're in thought worlds, right? If we can see that we're in them, then we'll be able to abandon them, right? So our resolve is to recognize when we're in thought worlds. So we are resolved to be heedful. We're resolved to be heedful. So this becomes a priority for us to notice when we are in a thought world. So uh, in order to be able to notice when we're in thought worlds, of course, we need to be somewhat present. I mean, sort of, again, this is the challenge, right? Because when we're in a thought world, we're not present. I mean, that's the definition, if you will, of not being present. We're in the head. We're not in the body. So we have to kind of force the attention into the present moment to some extent so that we can notice when we go into thought worlds. So we really work on that in meditation to try to establish ourselves to some extent in the present moment, which means establishing ourselves to some extent in the body using the breath as a center. So our capacity to know and to be able to be mindful of when we're in thought worlds depends on having a center to some extent, which we're developing, of course, in the meditation, center in the breath, a center in the body, uh, and that we're striving to maintain a center to some extent, to the best of our ability in all of our postures through what we call natural meditation, by inclining the mind as much as we can to the breath and the body during the course of the day. If we can do that, then we'll be able to notice, to some extent, when we're in thought world. So that becomes a real motivation for practicing med meditation. And once we start to understand how that works, then we become more motivated to want to meditate and to practice what I call natural meditation so that we can see when we're in thought worlds. Because if we can see when we're in thought worlds, we can abandon thought worlds. And if we can abandon thought worlds, we can come to the end of suffering. So you know, there's a reason why we meditate. You know, we have to understand what that is. If we understand what that is, then we have a sense of purpose. There's a reason why we try to maintain the breath during the course of the day. When we understand what that is, then we have a sense of purpose in doing that. <clears throat> so we have to have a center. And we have to be able to, you know, and this also is something that we develop through our meditation, uh, we learn to be able to, uh, in recognizing when we're in thought worlds, to be able to look at them like a meditator, which means like as an observer. So there's a quality of impartiality or equanimity, right? Uh, the Buddha was likened to a spiritual doctor or a scientist. So that when we see thought worlds, there's a quality of equanimity, there's a quality of space. So we're observing, like the Buddha says, one person looking at another. We're not reacting to what we're seeing. So if we can maintain that kind of space to some extent in observing when we're in thought worlds, then there's an opportunity to understand. Then there's an opportunity to understand, not intellectually, but in the heart for our innate wisdom to understand 
what it's like when we're in thought worlds, the drawbacks in being in thought worlds, for us to develop disenchantment with thought worlds, if there's that kind of space. If there's that kind of space, then we're able to have compassion. Right? If there isn't that kind of space, if, if we're reacting emotionally, then the heart is blocked and we're not able to relate to the thought worlds with compassion. It's com wisdom and compassion that will allow us to abandon these thought worlds. So if we can look at them impartially in a non-reactive way, then the heart can relate with compassion. There's an interesting thing that happens you know, when we notice in, uh, in an objective way our thought worlds or any other element of our suffering, uh, there's actually a quality of joy that we experience. It's joyful when we notice when we're in a thought world, if we're noticing it in a skillful way. And that's kind of the marker, uh, if you will, of knowing that you've done it skillfully. And I think most people here would know what I'm talking about. You know, you've seen yourself involved in a thought world. You've seen yourself engage in a certain kind of thinking. You've seen yourself suffering in some way, clinging in some way. You've been able to observe that with some space. And there's a quality of joy that actually arises. You know, it's the joy that comes from uh, seeing that there's a way out. Because when you observe your experience with impartiality, with space, there's an unhooking from it. And we begin to see that there is a way out. And you begin to experience that joy that comes from knowing that you have an ability to find that way out. You know, the heart understands the truth that there is something on the other side of these thought worlds. So it's not that kind of joy, you know, like when your team wins the World Series. Ah, oh, yeah, I see a thought world. It may be like that, but it's that subtle joy. Oh yeah, I can do this. I can do this. I can find a way out of my suffering. There is a way out, and I have the capacity to find that way out. So we're asked in the Buddhist teaching to see when we're in thought worlds. That's in many ways the challenge. And if we can see when we're in thought worlds with enough space, uh, then we'll be able to bring insight to those, these thought worlds. To some extent, you know, insight is an interesting thing. To some extent, you just need space and the heart will understand. Uh, but there's also different cues, if you will, or ways to frame our observing that support us in deepening into insight. So, uh, so the Buddha talks about four ways of looking at thought worlds uh, that support us in our effort to bring insight to the thought worlds in the service of abandoning them. So the first element is to see that these thought worlds are fabricated states. So this is, this is critical. These thought worlds that we engage in, that we live in, are fabricated states, which is to say they're states that we fabricate. They're states that we fabricate. They're states that we create. Right? Uh, I mean, there's a whole sequence of uh, events that the Buddha describes that we engage in that lead to the arising of thought worlds, a sequence of events known as dependent co-arising or dependent origination. Uh, we begin to understand that we're creating uh, these thought worlds. So, uh, so this is very important to see that these are fabricated states. Uh, the Buddha called these states, states of becoming. 
becoming. The Pali word is bhava, B-H-A-V-A. Tanisura Bhikkhu translates it as becoming. Uh, it's translated as different ways. Sometimes it's translated as being, states of being. Uh, but what the Buddha says is that which is becomes something else. That which is real becomes an unreality, a fabrication. Again, the Tibetans call these states dream states, unreal states. What's important to understand about fab these fabricated states, these thought worlds, is they're not fixed states. They're not fixed states. They're fabricated states. They're not permanent states. Uh, we learn to see this, and as we begin to see that they're not fixed states, we begin to understand that we have a choice. Sort of the bad news is that we're fabricating these states. The good news is if we see and understand that we're fabricating these states, in turn, almost at the same time, and this is where part of that joy arises, we understand that this is something that I'm doing, and in turn we realize that if it's something that I'm doing, then it's also something that I don't have to do. We begin to understand that, that we have a choice we have a choice and we're not beholden to these states. We don't have to enter into these states. We can abandon these states. So understanding that uh, we're not beholden to these states, these thought worlds, is so, is so critical. Because on a certain level, we don't really think that we have a choice. We really don't think that we have a choice. But when we get, begin to get enough space and to be able to take a step back from them, and observe them, we begin to start to see that we do have a choice, that we can abandon these states, that they are uh, states that can be, uh, that we can step away from them. We see that these states, if we want to use the terminology of the teaching, or are anicca, impermanent, they're subject to birth and death. And we can just let them go. So in a lot of ways, you don't have to do anything. You can just let these states be and step away from them. You don't have to do anything, really. You just have to understand that you don't have to live in these states, in these thought worlds. More and more, we come to understand that. It's not something that you can understand intellectually, or not enough to be able to abandon them. The only way that you can understand that is by observing, by observing these states. The second element of bringing insight is to see the drawbacks in these fabricated states, in these thought worlds. You know, to see that when we're in thought worlds, we're asleep, we're in a dream state, we're not awake. To see that we're not able to be mindful, we're not able to see clearly, we're not able to develop wisdom, we're not able to develop the wisdom that will set us free. And we're suffering. You know, we're in a, a state of dukkha. You know, the state of becoming is really, in many ways, the fruition of dukkha. The state of becoming. Uh, so when we're in these states, we're cut off from the heart. And, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, what dukkha is in terms of it being, in, a way, in the way that I like to think of it, as a state in which we're cut off from the heart. We're blocked off from the citta, right? And what that means is, when we talk about being cut off from the citta or the heart, we're cut off from our innate wisdom, the wisdom that 
will guide you through this life and enable you to understand what it is that you need to do uh, that will lead you to happiness and you're cut off from the qualities in the heart of compassion and love, loving kindness, metta, that will empower you in your efforts to do what you need to do to know happiness in this life. So it's like all your goodness is right there in the heart, but you're cut off from it when you're in those states, when you're lost in thought, when you're in thought worlds. So it's very important to see that. And when we begin to see that, we become disenchanted. We're cut off from our goodness, we're cut off from the heart, we're cut off from our wisdom, we're cut off from the place of love and compassion, we're blocked off from where we need to be in order to make the most of this life. The third element of insight in understanding thought worlds is to see the allure. It's very interesting, I think, that the Buddha uh, includes this as one of the four elements of developing insight into these thought worlds is to, that we have to see the allure, the pull. There's a very strong pull. There's a very strong pull for us to engage in these thought worlds. The Buddha said uh, in that sutta, which I think I put in the notes, the Loka Sutta, surveying the world. Loka is the, the Pali word for the world, surveying the world. Uh, the Buddha said, uh, these thought worlds are places of great suffering, and yet we find delight in them. And yet we find delight in them. You know, there's, there's such a pull. Uh, we talked about this a little bit last week, that you know, when we're engaged in certain thought worlds, there is a certain satisfaction that we might get, a certain quote-unquote happiness that we might get. But it's a very limited happiness, uh, and there's a greater happiness that's available to us so seeing the allure of the thought worlds is important because there's this pull, there's this pull. If we can see the pull, if we can see the allure and get some space from it, it loses a lot of its strength, right? It's like a lot of things that we bring mindfulness to when we create a spacious relationship to it, it loses its power. So, you know, beginning to see the pull of thought worlds is really important in terms of being able to uh, find freedom from them. So just start to notice that, like when you're in a thought world, wow, there's this real pull, and just notice the pull. Because a lot of times it's not, you know, it's just, it, it, it's, it, it's, it, it's this gravitational pull that's pulling, that's drawing you into the thought world, uh, that's really acting on you even more than the content of the thoughts. The fourth element uh, of uh, finding freedom from thought worlds is to see the escape, is to see that there's another place that we can be, uh, is to see, and I, and I really, you know, this, this piece is such important, and I really love this piece because the Buddha isn't saying, just abandon thought worlds, now you're on your own, see ya. No, he's saying, you're not going to fall into a void. You know, there's a good place to land. You can, you can, and, but you, know, you have to make a good place to land. Now, that's also your job. Just like it was your job, if you will, to fabricate those thought worlds, you have to fabricate a good place to land. You have to fabricate a good place to be. So it's one of the interesting things about 
these fabrications, these states of becoming, is that the way out is to fabricate skillful states. Fabricate skillful states. We've been talking about this a lot, just in terms of skillful states in general and the importance of fabricating skillful states. So the way out of unskillful states that we fabricated is to fabricate skillful states. So uh, we learn to find the escape from thought worlds in states that are skillful, states of concentration, states in which we are able to uh, maintain awareness of breath and body and those qualities uh, that we refer to as the jhana qualities of ease and of pleasure. So it's really, this is another thing that's really important uh, that, you know, ultimately our capacity to find escape and freedom from thought worlds, it's not going to be enough to have an escape that includes uh, just the breath and the body. You know, we're talking about a fabricated state uh, that's easeful and pleasurable. We have to have a good place to land. So, you know, it's not enough just to say, well, I'm, I'm not present, I'm in thought worlds, I'm going to be present, I'm going to be focused on the breath and the body. That's not going to really do it. And the Buddha understood that. You know, the mind, it's not enough for the mind to want to stay there. We have to cultivate a pleasurable abiding. It's only when we have this pleasurable abiding will the mind be more inclined to stay uh, in these states that are skillful states. So we fabricate a state that's skillful, that's easeful, pleasurable, a pleasurable abiding, and we do this, uh, we establish and fabricate these states and maintain these states out of love, out of love for ourselves and all beings, out of loving kindness, out of metta for our states and for ourselves and all beings. So there's the fabricated state of in which we are with the body and the breath, with ease and pleasure, and uh, there's the intention to be in that state uh, out of metta for ourselves. So this is how we fabricate a skillful state. So it includes two things. It includes the intention and it includes the experience that we put the mind on that's skillful. So right now, for instance, we can, we can, uh, we can establish a skillful state uh, by having the intention to be here right now in this moment with your breath in the body with loving kindness. And to be with your breath and in your body right now in this moment with loving kindness. This is how we find escape from, from thought worlds. Right? So we, we use the mind in terms of intention to establish ourselves in, in the heart. It's very, very simple. It's a simple skill. It's a simple skill. Not so easy because, you know, simple things aren't always the easiest things to do. Not so easy to do because we're so distracted by so many other kinds of thoughts. 
and so many other things that we could put our mind on. But this is a very simple skill for finding escape for thought from thought worlds, a very simple skill for being where we need to be so that we can know happiness in this life. So it's two very, two very simple tools that we're using. Right? Two very simple tools that we're using. These are the heart of you know, uh, our skills. These two, two skills that the Buddha called Nama and Rupa. Nama and Rupa. Tanisara uh, Bhikkhu often translates them somewhat cryptically, for my taste, as name and form. Uh, they're often translated as intention and attention. That might be a little bit more uh, understandable, intention and attention. These are the tools that we have for developing our goodness, for using our mind skillfully. This, the tool of intention, or name, nama, and the tool of attention. So it's that process of putting your mind in a good place, attention, and doing that with a skillful intention, loving kindness. These are, these, are, these are tools that everybody has. Everybody has the ability to say, and I, I, I always kid around, but you know, everybody has the ability to say to themselves right now, let me be here right now in this moment with loving kindness. And everybody has the ability to put your attention on your breath and your body. These are, these, this is your birthright. Can we all do that right now? Can we not? I mean, this is, this is, you know, this is your superpower. This is your superpower, nama rupa, intention, attention. So we have the intention. These tools are always at your disposal, wherever you are, wherever you are. Wherever you are in your life, whatever you're going through, whatever your experience is, you're in the drama class, or you're on the train, you know, or you're riding high, or you're dying, or you're sick, or you're not. You always have these tools. You know? And when you're in thought worlds, this is how you find the escape. This is the escape. And of course, it's so important to know the escape, because now you have something to compare when you start to look at thought worlds and you, and you ask, you know, what are the drawbacks? You have something to compare them with. Something to compare that with. So we have the intention to be here right now with loving kindness. And we put our attention on the breath and the body. We often use this term, uh, I've been using it a lot more lately, of replacing. The Dharma practice is a lot about replacing, abandoning the unskillful, replacing it with the skillful. You know, so we're replacing thought worlds with skillful states. Right? We're replacing thought worlds with skillful states, with skillful intention. That's the skillful use of the mind. It's very simple. Let me be here right now in this moment with loving kindness. Let me feel the breath with loving kindness and skillful attention, putting the mind in a good place, on the breath, in the body. Let me be here right now with loving kindness, with this breath, in this body, in this moment. 